you are now tuned into World War II Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, and I'm here to take you on a journey through the whirlwind of historical events that shaped our world and defined generations. Stay tuned every Tuesday and Thursday as we delve into the riveting, inspiring, and sometimes tragic stories from World War II. We'll meet the brave men and women who stood up to tyranny, we'll explore clandestine operations and daring escapes, and we'll pay tribute to the resilience of the human spirit in times of extreme adversity. Also, be sure to check out our other podcast focusing on World War I, the conflict that set the stage for the global turmoil that followed. Use the link in the description below. As dawn broke on the island nation of Japan on April 18th, 1942, its citizens woke up to an ordinary day, unaware of the tempest brewing in the skies above. This was a nation at the height of its power, its imperial forces stretching across the vast expanses of the Pacific. They were the unchallenged masters of the air and sea, their dominance asserted in a devastating blow dealt to the American Pacific fleet at Pearl Harbor just months prior. A feeling of invincibility had permeated through the ranks of the Japanese military, all the way to the home front. The idea that enemy planes could penetrate their airspace and bomb their mainland was unthinkable. Meanwhile, hurtling through the frigid winds at 200 miles per hour were 16 B-25 Mitchell bombers, their gunmetal gray bodies a stark contrast against the backdrop of an endless sea of clouds. Packed within the tight confines of these aircraft, their hands firm on the controls, were 80 men, men bound by a single, audacious objective. Their mission was as improbable as it was unprecedented, to launch the first ever air raid on Japanese soil. This daring operation, known as the Doolittle Raid, was a gamble of immense proportions, a literal leap into the unknown. Against all odds, this David versus Goliath tale unfolded against the backdrop of the Second World War. The Doolittle Raid, a saga of human courage, resilience, and ingenuity, became a beacon of hope for a beleaguered nation and a turning point in the Pacific theater of the war. This is the story of that mission, the events that led up to it, the men who dared to carry it out, and the lasting legacy it left behind. Through the trials and tribulations of these brave individuals, we delve into a chapter of history that forever altered the course of the war and the world as we know it. I am your host, Steve Matthews. Join us today as we embark on another exciting adventure. Chapter 1 The Rising Sun In the early 20th century, the land of the rising sun embarked on a journey of transformation that would reverberate across the globe. Having emerged from the cocoon of centuries-long isolation, Japan had already begun to modernize and adapt Western technology at a rapid pace. But the nation harbored ambitions greater than just technological advancement. With eyes keenly focused on becoming a world power, Japan sought territorial expansion to secure resources and influence, which laid the groundwork for what would ultimately become a collision course with the United States. At the helm of Japan's expansionist drive was Hideki Tojo, a man whose military career had seen him rise steadily through the ranks. Tojo was not a man of extraordinary charisma, nor did he possess a towering physical presence. Yet, beneath the seemingly unassuming exterior lay a steely resolve and an unwavering belief in Japan's destiny to rule Asia. 
As the army minister, he held significant sway over Japan's military policy and found support among those who shared his aggressive expansionist ideas. Japan's military machinery swept across the Asian continent, with their sights set on Manchuria, China, and beyond. To the Western world, these incursions signified Japan's growing might and signaled a potential threat. But within the Japanese perspective, they were stepping stones in a grand plan to create an East Asia co-prosperity sphere, a euphemism for a Japanese-dominated Asia. In the West, the United States, a burgeoning world power in its own right, watched Japan's growing aggression with mounting concern. The seeds of discord had been sown, leading to strained relations between the two nations. As Japan marched across Asia, America, in a bid to curtail this rapid expansion, responded with economic sanctions. This included the embargo of oil, a commodity crucial to Japan's war machine. As the empire of Japan grew, so did its confidence. But with each territory seized, it also courted a powerful adversary. The clash between the two nations seemed inevitable, as if two trains set on a collision course, racing full steam ahead. The stage was set for a conflict that would plunge the world into war, and at the heart of it was a small island nation, its imperial dreams overshadowing the looming threat of retribution. Little did anyone realize how profoundly this chain of events would shape not only the destiny of these nations but also the course of the 20th century. On a serene Sunday morning of December 7, 1941, the tropical paradise of Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, nestled amidst sapphire-blue waters, was anything but tranquil. Before the morning sun could warm the American naval base, aircraft emblazoned with the red emblem of the rising sun pierced the peace. As the day was just coming to life, a fleet of Japanese planes took the Pacific fleet by surprise. From his command center, Admiral Husband E. Kimmel, commander-in-chief of the U.S. Pacific Fleet, stood aghast as his harbor was engulfed in smoke and fire. A seasoned naval officer, Kimmel was no stranger to the harsh realities of conflict, yet nothing could have prepared him for the magnitude of destruction unfolding before his eyes. His ships, symbols of American naval might, were reduced to burning husks within a matter of minutes. In Washington, D.C., thousands of miles away from the tumult at Pearl Harbor, President Franklin D. Roosevelt received the grim news. A sense of dread descended upon the Oval Office as the reality of the situation sank in. FDR, as he was affectionately known, was a figure of resilience, having guided the nation through the Great Depression. Now, he faced another monumental challenge, responding to an unprovoked attack and leading his country into a war that had just landed on its doorstep. The attack on Pearl Harbor was an audacious feat of military precision, catching the American forces off guard. The carnage left in its wake was staggering over 2,400 Americans killed, scores injured, eight battleships damaged, and nearly 200 aircraft destroyed. It was a sight that burned into the American psyche, an act of aggression that demanded retribution. But from this disaster, something unexpected emerged. The shock of the attack united the American public like never before. Where there had been doubt and isolationist sentiment, there was now resolve and a shared purpose. In one of his most memorable speeches, Roosevelt galvanized the nation, 
declaring December 7, 1941, as a date which will live in infamy. A declaration of war against Japan followed, marking America's entrance into the Second World War. With that, America's slumber was broken. The gloves were off, and a powerful new player stepped onto the stage of the global conflict. The aftershocks of the day of infamy reverberated far and wide, and from these tremors, a daring plan for a counter-strike began to take shape. In the wake of the attack on Pearl Harbor, a fire sparked within the American populace. Gone were the days of debating isolationism, the united front was forming, fueled by a common cause. The nation was rallying together, and the call to arms echoed from sea to shining sea. One man tasked with rallying the troops was General George C. Marshall, the U.S. Army Chief of Staff. Marshall, a calm and collected figure, was faced with the daunting task of preparing the American military for a war on a scale never seen before. His office became a whirlwind of strategic plans and deployment orders, each decision carrying the weight of thousands of lives and the future of the nation. Meanwhile, Americans from all walks of life answered their country's call. They flooded recruitment offices, their faces resolute, their determination unwavering. Young men traded their plowshares for swords, leaving behind farmsteads and college campuses, trading quiet family dinners for mess halls teeming with the sound of camaraderie. Factories that had once turned out cars and radios now hummed with the production of planes, tanks, and munitions. Rosie the Riveter became an iconic symbol, representing thousands of women who stepped up to keep the war machine running. The home front, just as much as the front lines, became a crucial part of the war effort. At the helm of the nation, President Roosevelt guided his people with firm resolve. In his fireside chats, he comforted, inspired, and mobilized the American people, painting a picture of a united front that would not back down. His words served as a beacon, guiding the country through the stormy waters of war. In those early days of 1942, the United States was a nation transformed. From the bustling cities to the tranquil countryside, the gears of war were turning. Yet, amidst the whirlwind of change, a daring plan was quietly taking shape, a plan that would see the United States deliver a bold counterstroke against the Empire of Japan. The stage was set for one of the most audacious military operations in history, the Doolittle Raid. Chapter 2 Birth of the Doolittle Raid In the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, America was keen to retaliate, to show Japan that it had awakened a sleeping giant. Among the many military strategists pondering this quandary was a man whose audacity matched the scale of the task at hand. This man was Lieutenant Colonel James H. Doolittle, an aviation pioneer with a reputation for being a problem solver. Doolittle was no ordinary officer. He was a man of many talents, an accomplished pilot, aeronautical engineer, and a daredevil in the air. Known for his fearless approach and innovative thinking, he had the unique ability to see potential where others saw limitations. He was the very embodiment of a visionary. As Doolittle brooded over maps and intelligence reports, he conceived a daring idea. An idea so audacious it was almost unfathomable to launch a bombing raid on Japan's mainland. The mere thought was astounding. 
American bombers striking at the heart of the Japanese Empire was an eventuality that no one, especially the Japanese, anticipated. However, such a feat required overcoming substantial obstacles. The Pacific Ocean's vast expanse made the task seem virtually impossible. Traditional bombing runs from established bases were out of the question due to the immense distances involved. This challenge led Doolittle to a radical idea, launching army bombers from an aircraft carrier. The concept was unorthodox. Army bombers were not designed for carrier takeoffs. Their large size and longer runway requirements were ill-suited for the constrained environment of a naval vessel. It was a gamble that required significant modification to the aircraft and specialized training for the pilots. Yet, Doolittle's resolve was unwavering. To him, the risk was worth the potential reward delivering a psychological blow to the Japanese, shattering their belief in the Empire's invulnerability, and providing a much-needed morale boost to the American public. With the backing of top military officials, including General Henry Hap Arnold, the commanding general of the U.S. Army Air Forces, Doolittle set his plan into motion. His audacious idea was about to become a reality, setting the stage for an unprecedented mission in military history, a mission that would forever bear his name, the Doolittle Raid. As Doolittle's plan took shape, a whirlwind of activity commenced, beginning with the selection of the bombers. The B-25 Mitchell, a versatile medium-range bomber, was chosen for the task. It was an aircraft capable of carrying a considerable payload while maintaining good speed and maneuverability. However, to achieve the mission's unique demands, modifications were necessary. In the hands of skilled engineers, the B-25s underwent a transformation. Every ounce of unnecessary weight was stripped away, making room for extra fuel tanks to increase their range. The tail gun was replaced with a wooden tail cone, housing broomsticks painted to mimic machine guns. It was a simple deception, but it reduced weight and provided a psychological edge. While the planes were being prepared, Doolittle handpicked his crew, comprising pilots, navigators, bombardiers, and gunners. Among them were figures such as Lieutenant Travis Hoover, Doolittle's second in command, known for his unflappable demeanor and Lieutenant Thomas White, a skilled navigator with a sharp eye. Each man was an expert in his field, and they all shared a critical trait, the unwavering resolve to see the mission through. Once the team was assembled, they dove into rigorous training. At Eglin Field in Florida, the men learned to take off from a mock aircraft carrier runway, substantially shorter than what they were accustomed to. Day after day, they practiced until the seemingly impossible feat became second nature. Doolittle led from the front, the first to make the short runway takeoff, setting an example of courage and determination. Simultaneously, the USS Hornet, a Navy aircraft carrier, was chosen as the launch pad for the raid. Under the command of Captain Mark Mitcher, a seasoned naval officer, the Hornet was prepared to accommodate the B-25s. The flight deck was cleared, and the mechanics trained to handle the bombers. With every passing day, Doolittle's audacious plan was materializing. Planes were adapted, men were trained, and the launch pad was ready. 
As the last pieces fell into place, the world remained oblivious to the unprecedented mission quietly taking shape. Yet, for the men involved, the gravity of the situation was all too real. They stood on the precipice of an extraordinary endeavor, a mission that held the potential to change the tide of the war. In the early hours of April 2, 1942, the USS Hornet sat in the San Francisco Bay, her deck filled with an unusual sight. Sixteen B-25 bombers stood silently, their wings barely fitting the width of the deck, each loaded with a crew of five men and a payload of bombs. Overseeing the scene was Captain Mark Mitcher, a seasoned naval officer with decades of experience under his belt. Yet, this mission was unlike any he had encountered before. His ship, typically home to sleek naval fighters and torpedo bombers, was now a makeshift airstrip for Army bombers. The unusual sight made the gravity of their task palpably real. Lieutenant Colonel Doolittle was among the last to board the Hornet. As he stepped onto the ship, he took a moment to look back at the San Francisco skyline disappearing in the morning fog. This might be the last glimpse of home for him and his men, a stark reminder of what they were leaving behind. Yet, there was no hesitation in his stride as he crossed the deck towards his bomber, named Ruptured Duck. As the Hornets slipped away from the harbor and into the vast Pacific, the men settled into their new environment. For the Army men, used to the spacious airfields, the confines of the naval carrier were a stark contrast. Every inch of the ship was utilized, with the tight quarters, the constant hum of the engines, and the sway of the ship serving as constant reminders of their unique circumstances. The journey across the Pacific was marked by anticipation and a sense of purpose. While the soldiers trained and prepared, Doolittle worked closely with Mitcher, plotting the course and discussing contingency plans. On deck, the bomber crews often gathered, reviewing their target maps, maintaining their aircraft, or sharing quiet moments of camaraderie against the backdrop of an endless sea. Day by day, as the Hornet cut through the Pacific waters, a sense of anticipation filled the air. Each man on board knew they were part of something bigger than themselves, a daring mission that held the potential to change the tide of war. Yet, amidst the vast expanse of the Pacific Ocean, their journey was just beginning. Unbeknownst to them, the most daring part of their mission was yet to unfold. Chapter 3 Flight into Danger April 18, 1942 dawned with a tension that was palpable on the USS Hornet. The mission that had been meticulously planned and prepared for was suddenly teetering on the brink of the unexpected. A Japanese picket boat had spotted the American convoy they were still a day's sail from their intended launch point. Now, secrecy was compromised, and time, a luxury they no longer had. Doolittle, upon hearing this news, was faced with a decision that carried immense weight. They could abort the mission, turn back, and risk the Japanese forces pursuing them. Or, they could launch the bombers immediately, despite being nearly 200 miles further out than planned, pushing the B-25's range to its limit. After a quick conference with Mitcher, Doolittle made his choice. The raid would proceed ahead of schedule. Back on deck, the pilots were roused from their rest, a hurried pre-dawn breakfast served. The mission was on, much sooner than expected. 
The bomber crews, though taken by surprise, masked their apprehension with a sense of resolve. Doolittle, the first to man his aircraft, offered his men an encouraging nod. It was a silent message that spoke volumes, it was time to make history. One by one, the B-25s roared to life, the deck vibrating under the force of their engines. The crews ran through their final checks, their hearts pounding in rhythm with the thrumming engines. In the pre-dawn darkness, the Hornet turned into the wind, creating a makeshift runway for the bombers. With a burst of acceleration, Doolittle's bomber, the ruptured duck, hurtled down the deck. The crew held their breath as the plane sped towards the edge of the ship. Then, with a final lurch, they were airborne, leaving the safety of the Hornet behind. One by one, the rest of the bombers followed suit, each takeoff a nail-biting spectacle against the breaking dawn. As the last bomber disappeared into the morning sky, the deck of the Hornet fell eerily silent. The men left behind watched with bated breath, knowing their comrades were embarking on a daring endeavor, a mission launched prematurely yet filled with the hopes of a nation. The audacious Doolittle raid had begun, a retaliatory strike that would echo across the vast Pacific and reach the heart of the Japanese Empire. As the sixteen bombers ascended into the morning sky, the men on board found themselves amidst the vast expanse of blue, both above and below. The enormity of their task was as immense as the ocean stretching beneath their wings. They were a small fleet of bombers, soaring towards the Empire of Japan with a mission that held the hopes of an entire nation. Doolittle, leading the fleet, set a course for Japan, his determined gaze fixed on the horizon. Inside the bombers, the crew members settled into their roles. Navigators poured over maps, plotting the course with precision. Gunners checked their weapons, ensuring they were ready for any enemy encounters. And the pilots focused on flying, their eyes scanning the skies for any signs of enemy aircraft. As they neared the Japanese coast, the tension inside the bombers was almost palpable. However, much to their surprise, they encountered little resistance. The unexpected timing of their approach combined with the belief that the Japanese mainland was beyond the reach of American bombers, worked in their favor. As they crossed the coastline, targets came into sight. Doolittle, targeting Tokyo, released his bombs over a military complex, his payload erupting in a cloud of smoke and fire below. One by one, the other bombers followed suit, their payloads delivering a surprising blow to Yokohama, Nagoya, Kobe, and Osaka. Despite the successful bombing runs, the mission was far from over. Now they had to escape Japanese airspace and reach the safety of the prearranged landing sites in China. Low on fuel and battling adverse weather conditions, the crews pushed their B-25s to their limits. Each mile covered was a step closer to safety, yet every minute brought new challenges, from disorienting fog to aggressive headwinds. As the land of China came into sight, it was a race against time. Fuel levels were critically low, and darkness was setting in. Forced to abandon their aircraft, the crews parachuted into the night, landing in fields, villages, and even the sea. When the dawn broke, it marked the end of a daring mission. Despite the challenges and unexpected circumstances, 
the Doolittle raid had accomplished its goal. It had struck a psychological blow against Japan, shown the world that America was not a down giant, and boosted the morale of the American public. It was a mission in the sky that had far-reaching implications, echoing through the halls of power in both Washington and Tokyo. When the first bomb exploded over Tokyo, it sent a shockwave that reached far beyond the immediate devastation. The heart of the Japanese Empire, considered invulnerable, had been struck. The Doolittle Raid, a small fleet of 16 bombers, had achieved what seemed impossible they had delivered a direct blow to Japan's capital. Back in the United States, news of the daring raid was greeted with jubilation. Newspaper headlines hailed Doolittle and his men as heroes, their mission seen as a triumphant response to the devastating attack on Pearl Harbor. The American public, reeling from a series of setbacks in the Pacific, found a renewed sense of hope and determination. The morale of the nation soared, America was indeed capable of striking back. In the halls of the Japanese High Command, the impact was equally significant, albeit drastically different. The raid had exposed the vulnerability of the Japanese mainland, shattering the illusion of invincibility. It provoked a shift in Japanese strategy, prompting them to pursue a more aggressive stance, a decision that would have profound implications for the course of the Pacific War. The mission also left an indelible mark on the men who undertook it. Each one of the 80 airmen who participated in the Doolittle Raid returned with stories of bravery, sacrifice, and resilience. Some managed to evade capture with the help of Chinese locals, while others became prisoners of war, enduring years of captivity before their release. Despite the varied fates they met, all were bound by the experience of that daring mission. At the helm, Doolittle, who initially believed the mission to be a failure due to the loss of all aircraft, returned to a hero's welcome. He was awarded the Medal of Honor, and his audacious plan became a model for future long-range bombing missions. The Doolittle Raid, though a military mission with modest damage inflicted, achieved far more than it set out to do. It struck the heart of the Japanese Empire boosting the morale of the American people while altering the strategic decisions of the Japanese. It was a daring venture that demonstrated America's resolve to fight back and set the stage for the turning tide in the Pacific War. In this episode, we spoke about the Doolittle Raid, the rising sun, birth of the Doolittle Raid, and flight into danger. I am your host, Steve Matthews. Join us in our next episode when we expand on our story and talk about aftermath and escape, the ripple effect, and legacy of the Doolittle Raid.